0: The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org.
1: Our scripture reading today will be from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed and crucified let me ask you only this did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith are you so foolish having begun by the spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain does he who supplies the spirit to you in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and to do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangeth on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. May the Lord be blessed by the reading of his holy word. You
0: can be seated. I invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 27 this morning. Just to kind of get us caught up to speed quickly here, make sure we're not, we don't lose focus uh, kind of what the main, the general theme has been in Deuteronomy so far. But as you recall from kind of what we keep mentioning week to week, Deuteronomy is a series of sermons delivered by Moses uh, at the brink of the people of Israel entering the promised land. Moses himself knowing that he has been forbidden to enter the promised land. So this is kind of as it was the the last sermons of a dying preacher. Telling his people, encouraging his people, exhorting his people before they leave him and go into this land of promise. In the first four chapters of Deuteronomy, the first sermon that we come to, Moses is speaking about God's past grace with Israel. He, he details the, the generation that came out of Egypt, and now, at this time, this second generation that, after 40 years wandering around in the wilderness, has now come to the border of the promised land. And, and he details a number of the ways that they rebelled against God. The, the, the whole reason they were in the wilderness for 40 years in the first place was because of their rebellion against God. And yet God was gracious with Israel. He, the the uh, image that Moses brings up in that sermon is God carrying his people as a father carries his child. God was carrying them through the wilderness. He brought them to this place. So those first, that first sermon kind of deals with God's, God's covenant faithfulness to his people. Then chapters 5 through 26, and of the bulk of the book of Deuteronomy is the the second sermon. We just finished that last week as John uh, concluded that sermon. And that was dealing with God's present grace with Israel. As we saw, it begins with Moses retelling the, the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words. And then he goes on to explain that. And how how those ten commandments, or the the ten words, the law that God has given His people, how they are applied to them, as they are to live as His people in the Promised Land. So it dealt with what covenant life looked like for the people. Well, today's passage begins of the the third kind of final sermon, the twenty uh, chapters twenty seven through 30 deals with God's future grace for Israel. Then the remainder of the book is kind of Moses' kind of closing words as, as he is uh, about to leave the people. Now the, the two chapters we'll be covering this morning, chapter 27 and 28, I'll only be reading chapter 27 for the, the sake of time. But there. There's something that I enjoy as I get to prepare uh, a sermon, as I'm studying the text, and then I come and I get to, to sing the hymns. And there's, there's, a, there's certain Sundays, like a Sunday like today, where I wish, in a sense, that the very first thing that we did was, pr- was to have the sermon. And then the response to God's word to us is our sung response because I- I'm sitting there just rejoicing, thinking of the hymn of, of sermon in my mind, hearing the hymns and just thinking of the rich truths that, that I've kind of had the joy of diving into this week in this text. And John, last week, uh, introduced us to kind of a call and response in the reading of the word, and very much what I was feeling this morning with the hymns is the purpose of this call and response. You know, when, a, when a preacher reads the text directly from God's word, and he says that as he finishes, this is the word of the Lord, and the people respond, thanks be to God. The reason for that is much what I was feeling, it's there should be a response from us. We, we don't As we come before, on Sunday morning, before God's word, as we desire to hear Christ speak to us through his word, there is a response that he wants for us. This is part of what worship is. He speaks to us and we respond. And we'll even see that in in today's text as we look at this uh, covenant renewal ceremony. We'll see a response But that is much what we do here is we want to respond to what God has said. And we respond saying, this is the word of the Lord. This is true. And we're thankful for it. Even with a heavy passage like this morning, and if I were going to read chapter 28, you might think after hearing a chapter that is the bulk of the chapter is about curses all this horrible stuff that's going would happen to Israel if they fail to obey the voice of God. And you might think, well how can we hear such a heavy passage and respond thanks be to God? And the reason we can is because we recognize this is the very word of God. As as William Perkins said, he said we must not think that God does a thing because it is good and right but rather the thing is good and right because god does it we can have a full confidence and assurance in our god that because he is holy and just and perfect and true that everything he does serves that end so when we can, when we hear his word we can declare it to be the word of god word of the lord and we can Declare our thanks. So after I read this passage, uh, I will say, This is the word of the Lord, and the response is, Thanks be to God. Deuteronomy 27, beginning with verse 1. Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today, and on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones, concerning which I command you today, on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut uncut stones. And you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. That day Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and set, sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, I pray that as we come before your word this morning, that you would just make clear to each individual here that you would make clear to me your covenant covenant faithfulness. Help us to see in our weakness our absolute need for Christ. And help our response to be rejoicing and worship. Help us in all of our many failures to, to flee to you, to run to you, not away from you. And help us, Father, as we see your great love for us. I pray that you would give us a delight to obey you. Not to earn your favor, but because you have showered your favor upon us in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to briefly outline uh, the text for us this morning. As I said, we'll be looking at... Uh, chapters 27 and 28, and technically the first verse of of chapter 29 that kind of ends the segment. But as I just read in chapter 27, we have described for us there a, a covenant renewal ceremony. It's a ceremony that is prescribed to the people of Israel as they enter the land. This is a ceremony that they are to hold. And Moses and... And the, the Levites give the, the prescription for this ceremony here. It's, it's very similar if you were to look back at Exodus chapter 24 after uh, God gives the law at Sinai. And again, very similar to what we just saw in the second sermon in Deuteronomy. There's an explanation of some of the laws, kind of how it plays out. And then there is a covenant ceremony that happens in chapter 24 of Exodus. Well, this is kind of sh- very similar to that ceremony. There's, there's a writing down of the law. There's a verbal reading of the law and ag- an agreement from the people to obey, obey it, where the people all say that they will obey this. There's burnt offerings and peace offerings. Kind of an, an important aspect there is, as to the burnt offerings. There is a, a recognition of, of sin and, and cleansing made in the peace offerings. It's this kind of rite of communion that they can be in the presence of God. The peace offering actually is, is eaten in the presence. In Exodus 24, Moses and Aaron and the priests, they go a little ways up the mountain. And they actually sit down. And it says that they see kind of the feet of God. And they eat this meal that they had just sacrificed below and they are kind of astonished that they didn't that they don't die in the presence of God and that's what the peace offering is. It's enjoyed in the presence of God recognizing that they can have communion with him. The ceremony itself is, is something that I would say if kind of helps us understand this a bit, we're not totally unfamiliar with kind of covenant renewal ceremonies because if we think about of the, the most common picture that God uses throughout Scripture to de- describe his covenant is the, is the covenant of marriage. So we're very familiar with wedding ceremonies as we come and, and hear an exchange of vows. And it's also somewhat r- normal for a, a married couple to do a vow renewal ceremony. It's not as though they aren't already married, but really the renewal of the vows is, is kind of standing up and saying, the thing that 20 years ago, we stood in front of our friends and family and testified to, that, that thing that we did back then, we're going to stand up now and say the same thing because we still hold to the same thing that we said back then. Perhaps in a marriage a a time of struggle has kind of occurred. This different varying degrees, all marriages struggle. Oftentimes a renewal, a vow renewal ceremony is is done to kind of say, hey, those past 20 years, they've been really good years. We've also had a lot of struggles. I failed you in so many ways. Let's stand up and renew our vows with one another. There's a reading of vows, a, a uh, verbal response to the vows, very much what we saw here. Re- going over these vows kind of reinforces also the seriousness of the covenant that you have committed yourself to with your spouse. Just think through some of the words that you might hear at a wedding ceremony or a vow renewal ceremony Will you have this man to be your lawfully wedded husband, to live together after God's ordinance in the holy estate of marriage? And the response, I will. You might say as as, as the man or the wife, I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband in sickness and in health, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow as long as we both shall live and oftentimes after a wedding ceremony there's a a meal kind of sit down and enjoy a a meal together there's many similarities and i I, as i said i don't think it's by accident i think it's important that we recognize the comparisons there because that is kind of the go-to example that god uses throughout scripture of his covenant faithfulness is this picture of marriage. And he points to Israel's failures as as kind of the the spouse that runs away and commits adultery. Very familiar with that in the, the book of Hosea. As Hosea is called to be married to an unfaithful wife and continue to bring her back and show his love for her, picturing what God does for his people. So chapter 27 covers this, this uh, covenant renewal ceremony. Chapter 28 gives a, a list of blessings and curses. There are 14 verses dealing with blessings if they obey the voice of the Lord their God. But that's compared to the 54 Verses dealing with curses if they do not listen to the voice of the Lord their God. So there's an overwhelming focus on the curses. And, and there's this very real sense as Moses is laying these things out, as he's going through the curses, there is a sense given in the passage that Israel will indeed face these curses. That Israel will indeed fail they will forsake the covenant they will rebel against god not listening or obeying his voice in some of it we see kind of a, a much of a really a reversal of the exodus story as god redeems the people out of the land of egypt But in the time as they're still in Egypt, God brings his signs and wonders down upon the Egyptians and on the land. And much of what you see in the curses is kind of a reversal of that as the people of Israel are now suffering under these same signs and wonders. We might note what we might commonly call plagues. It gets dark in these curses as God through Moses promises that enemies will come and attack them and he describes the sieges carried out by the enemies where the needs that they have for life are taken away to such a horrible extent that it describes men and women who normally would be refined and proper eating their own children because they're starving to death. And it describes that it a- actually in a fact. <laughs> I saw that look, Damien. <laughs> Damien leans over and looked at Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's quite serious, though. It describes such devastation that it says the most, this most refined woman will actually not, not share this horrible meal with the rest of her family. She will not only eat a child from her womb, but keep, keep that last remaining sustenance that she has to live on from her husband and from her other children. It's a horrible, horrible picture. And then verse 68, the end of the chapter, it paints this picture that really drives it home. Where God says that such complete destruction and such complete hopelessness will rain down upon them if they turn from God. That they will actually go back to Egypt and offer to sell themselves as slaves to the egyptians and, and it's reminiscent of the people of israel as they're in the wilderness and how many times were they hungry and thirsty and did they complain to moses saying if only we could be back in the land of egypt at least we had you know our three meals a day we could have our leeks and onions here we've this spread stuff that we go out and collect and so we could at least go back and be slaves while well, in this picture that Moses gives them, if they disobey the voice of God, it will, the curses will be so bad that they will go back to Egypt, offer to sell themselves as slaves, and the response will be, no thanks. There's no buyer for you. What complete Devastation, where your last remaining hope of survival, your last remaining hope of life, is to go to your former slave masters and say, Please buy us back. And you're rejected. At that point, you have the picture is you have nowhere else to go. It's a very difficult text just to, to read through. As we think through a text like this, it's important for us to remember that it's a covenant specifically for Israel. But as we read something like this, we do struggle sometimes. We wonder you just kind of how secure is our relationship with God you might even wonder, can, can we lose our salvation? So as we look through this text, I, I, I hope that we will see, first of all, that this is a covenant specifically for Israel. That the sal- actual salvation even back under this old covenant was still on an individual basis. People coming to God by faith. This is God dealing with the people as a national people. Just consider as, as this passage looks forward to the exile, you consider the exile, the people of Judah being carried off into the land of Babylon. But who do we read about? Daniel and his friends. You know, the prophets who witnessed these things, Jeremiah. These are men who had true faith in the promises of God to come. What this text is really dealing with is a national covenant. But I hope as we look through this that we will actually come away understanding that our salvation is totally secure in Jesus Christ. Let me walk us through that. First, I want to just look at, as we as we consider this covenant renewal, I want us to understand the parties involved. What can we learn about God from this ceremony? And what can we learn about man? So the first important thing, I think, and this is an exhaustive for sure, but... The first thing I want to draw out of this this morning about God is that He is a covenant making God. That in itself should bring a smile to our face because God is not obligated to condescend to lower Himself to His people to covenant with them. And yet He does. And he enters into this, this covenant with sinful man out of his, his mere good pleasure. As we have seen already in Deuteronomy, and as Moses tells the people of Israel, says, it's not because you're more numerous than other people, it's not because you're stronger than other nations, it's not because you're more righteous than other nations. It is simply because God chose to place his love upon you. God chose you to be his people. God is a covenant-making God. In this example with Israel, we understand that God had already redeemed them out of Israel. We saw this in the giving of the Ten Commandments, the, mu- the, the preface to the Ten Commandments that we should never neglect where he says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, the house of slavery. He already, before entering this covenant, already redeemed them. It's also important as we consider God's covenant here that we understand that it's not the people's obedience that would determine whether or not God would dwell with them. God is already dwelling with them. It's imperfect, as we've talked about, in a, I think just a couple weeks ago, kind of the whole scope of redemptive history from Eden and God being with, with Adam and Eve in the garden, man's sin causing this separation where God removes Adam and Eve from the garden. But the whole scope of redemptive history is aiming for God to bring the, his people back to himself, to dwell with them. And we have really in Israel this typology of this of god dwelling with them and we see as history continues in revelation we see it end where god finally in perfection brings his people the church into his presence to dwell with him he will be our god and we will be our his people we will dwell with him and he will dwell with us. God had already placed his love upon them, not because of anything inherent in them. So they begin in his presence. Look at tw- chapter 27, verses uh, 9 and 10. It says, Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel, and This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. He's not saying here that this is completely a new thing. This is language that is repeated in Deuteronomy. where He says, today, kind of this sense of urgency, but it's even in this covenant renewal, Moses and the Levitical priests are saying, today. It's as real as if it's happening today. God has made you his people. Therefore, verse 10, you shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. He's the covenant-making God. He brings people into his presence. And then he outlines here what it looks like to be his people. God is the covenant-making God He is the covenant-keeping God. He is faithful to his covenant promises. As this ceremony is prescribed, as they enter the promised land, they are supposed to put one group of the tribes on Mount Ebal and one group of the tribes on Mount Gerizim, and they go through this whole ceremony. Well, in between the two mountains is the land of Shechem. And it's important for the people of Israel as God is renewing this covenant with them as they have now feet in the promised land. This is the very area, the very land, the land of Shechem that God covenanted with Abraham. Where God met Abraham in Genesis 12 and God promises to your offspring, I will give this land. It occurs in the same spot God is reminding the people, I am a covenant-keeping God. I am faithful to my covenant promises. I told Abraham that I would give this land to his offspring. You are his offspring. And even though you have been rebellious, you have had a you have had wicked hearts. You have turned from my goodness, and I have corrected you and brought you along. You've you've called out and cursed me because you're hungry, and I've fed you. I've blessed you in so many ways. I've brought you into this land, the land of promise. It says I am the covenant-keeping God. I am faithful to my word. This faithfulness comes out of His holiness. He's God who does not change. His covenant faithfulness then is really required because he is so holy, so perfect, so true. He must be faithful to his covenant promises. But it's also important for us to understand that he requires covenant faithfulness from his people. If we are to dwell with him, We need to be brought in and cleansed and and be, respond in faith to obedience. What we learn about man in this covenant renewal ceremony, God is the covenant making God. He he makes covenant with us. And as we think about this picture of marriage, I I was thinking uh, of all marriages, you've heard the phrase, wow, you married up. Israel married up. God covenanted with them. He he brought them in as his bride. God comes down to us. There's this need, as we dwell with God, this need for holiness. And it's important as we consider this passage and these blessings and curses. Mere obedience doesn't produce holiness. Mere obedience doesn't produce holiness. What produces holiness is time in the presence of our holy God. You see, he brought the people in to his presence, and he outlines these blessings that are going to be theirs if they will listen to his voice, and these curses that will surely be theirs if they... Do not listen to his voice. The whole picture there is being in his presence. It's, there's not a perfection that is demanded of here. In a certain sense, we understand the law of God demands perfection, and we'll see how that, per, that perfection is met. But God is not demanding perfection of the people of Israel. We see that because we understand that the very system of, law, of laws and commandments and statutes that God has given his people comes with a system for sacrifice. It comes with an understanding that they will sin. If there's no, if there's no sin, there's no need for the sacrificial system, but they are sinners So God, out of his grace and mercy, gives them this picture that will be fulfilled in Christ of these sacrifices to satisfy his demand for punishment against sin so that they can be cleansed and dwell with him. It's not perfection. It is a humble obedience and desire to dwell with God. The, in Sunday school, Victor mentioned how as believers, we ought to have characteristics of our father. And he used the example of kind of stopping and realizing, man, I the thing I just did is something my mom always did. And I think that happens to all of us as we recognize, as we see traits from our parents in us. But he made a statement. He said, because I spent so much time with her. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to spend time in his presence because it's not just mere acts of obedience that, that bring about holiness. It is dwelling in his presence. It is enjoying him, rejoicing in him. A like verse... 47 of chapter 28. It says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. The, the picture there in verse 47 is God, again, is, wasn't after a perfection. Like I said, there's a demand in the law for perfection that will be satisfied in Christ, but the, what God is demanding here is for the people to dwell with him, rejoicing with gladness in heart in the abundance of all that he has provided for them. Kind of goes back to the, the first answer in the shorter catechism. We are to glorify and enjoy God forever. That is what God wants from us, to glorify Him and enjoy Him. As we've I hope driven home many times in the series on Deuteronomy, God is after their heart. This is pictured really with the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They they had the kind of obedience nailed down, not the heart. Their obedience didn't produce holiness in them. They thought it produced holiness in them because they held it above everyone else, as though they had arrived. God is after our heart. He wants us to desire him. So as God brings the people into his presence he abundantly provides blessings for them he wants them to respond to respond with joyful service and gladness of heart but again we understand this another aspect of what we learn i think not only about israel but about us in this covenant is we will fail as god lays out these Many curses that will come upon the people of Israel if they fail to obey his voice. This picture is painted that they will fail. In this regard, the law is weak. Paul talks about the law being weak, the law could reveal. God's standard. It could reveal what obedience looked like. It could reveal even what a heart that delighted in God looked like. But it could not cause the heart to delight in God. The law cannot cause us to delight in God. It couldn't change their desire they couldn't change the object of their delight. So when we hear over and over and in again in this text, whether they listen to the voice of God or do not listen to the voice of God, it is all a matter of delight. And as we'll see in coming weeks, the reason is because they don't have a new heart. Much like what we're going through in our Sunday school class on regeneration, they do not have a new heart. God must give them this heart. As we feel, as we kind of understand the curses, we understand the condemning weight of the law, there's two responses. The law is condemning, and we understand that those, for those who are in Christ, there's no longer any condemnation, but we still feel The weight of the condemning power of the law from time to time. And that is not a bad thing. That drives us to our knees to Christ. And as these curses are laid out for Israel, that should have been their response as well, driving them to God, driving them to His presence driving them to desire him more than anything else. This, this great picture that is given in Scripture of why the people of Israel are taken off into exile is because they have committed adultery against their spouse. They have committed worship of other gods, building idols and worshiping other gods, neglecting the one true God, and they've neglected the love of neighbor. They've taken advantage of the least of these. These are kind of the main reasons that are given for them for the exile. But they should have heard these curses, and it should have sent them running to God. Calvin, speaking on the condemning way of the loss, is this. He says, dismissing the stupid opinion of their own strength, they come to realize that they stand and are upheld by God's hand alone that naked and empty-handed, they flee to his mercy, rest entirely in it, hide deep within it, and seize upon it alone for all righteousness and merit. We have to hide in, in God. This whole covenant renewal ceremony, these laying out of the blessings and curses, are all to call Israel to come To God, not from Him. As we look to a better hope, as I said, the the law in this regard is weak because the law can't desire can't give us the desire and the delight in our heart. Then this drives us to God and specifically. For us, as we understand, this drives us to Christ. You see, Jesus is the the true Israel. He's, He's ushered in a better covenant. This is what the book of Hebrews is telling us all about. Jesus is better. Don't look back to the types and shadows laid out in the law. Look to Christ. He's the true Israel. It's through his perfect obedience that he is the source of all blessings for us. All the blessings that God is, lays out here in Deuteronomy, those are ours in Christ. He has done it. He has gone before us and lived the perfect life of righteousness and obedience to earn all these blessings. And through our union with him, we get to share in these blessings. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So very much like this passage, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say amen. For us as believers, it is declared, Christ has gone before and obeyed all the words of the commandment. And he has brought you into the many blessings. And what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? We utter our amen to that. Amen, because we realize we have failed. And Christ is not. It's through his sacrifice that he takes the curses upon himself. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, as Victor read for us from Galatians. Let me just read a few of those verses again as we consider what God has done for us in Christ. Galatians 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. It's only by faith in Christ and the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in us that that the desires of our heart can be changed where not only do we hear the voice of God and we hear his law and his perfect standard held out for us, but it's through our union with Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit that our desires are changed, that we can actually say yes and amen. I delight to do your will. And we recognize that we still fail. And again, that doesn't, our, our failure doesn't drive us away from God. Our failure drives us right back to his feet. We recognize that we need his grace. We need his mercy. We need his steadfast love. That is all we have to cling, cl- cling to. as we'll see in the coming weeks in this section in Deuteronomy, that to love God with all our faculties, you know, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, God must do a work in us. God must Create in us a new heart. This is what the people of Israel needed. This is what Moses will preach to them. God must give them a new heart. And this new heart is a result of Christ's finished work of redemption applied to us by the Holy Spirit. That's only how it happens. It doesn't happen by simply hearing the law and saying, I will do it because we, like Israel before us, will fail. It is only when we are given a new heart that we can actually delight in God, desire to Him more than anything else. In fact, I, I love the Psalms in this regard as the psalmist just declare over and over and over again how much the thing that he desires most is to dwell in the presence of God, to dwell in the presence of God even David as we reflected this morning on Psalm 51 in Sunday school in his prayer of re- of confession and repentance with his sin with Bathsheba he says a broken and contrite heart O Lord you will not despise you will not reject the people of Israel in their deepest moment if God allowed it to go so far, would show up at the gates of Egypt and say, make us your slaves. The believer, the one who approaches God and his law by faith in his deepest place, his most horrible sin, shows up to God and say and says God take me in. I need you more than anything else. Only in Christ is the condemning power of the law taken away. As I said earlier, we, we still feel the weight of God's holiness and our sinfulness, but it draws us to Christ rather than away from him. Victor said this in Sunday school this morning. I love it when Sunday school And the sermon line up so much. That's a a sign of a regenerate heart, a new heart. Someone who has been born again is that they don't run away from God, but they run to him. We cling to Christ. That is what we come to the communion table for each Sunday is we are clinging to Christ. It is a reminder for us that we desire his presence more than anything else. It's a reminder that it is not obedience, mere obedience that makes us holy, but it is God's presence. For Israel, that pattern was established from Sabbath to Sabbath worship, and these various feasts that they were to celebrate that were modeled, as we looked at a handful of weeks ago, modeled after the Sabbath, it was coming into the presence of God and worshiping him that serving him being in his presence is what made them holier and holier a set apart people able to dwell with God and this is why we are here every sunday coming before the preaching of the word, responding in our, in our songs and our hymns and our spiritual songs and praying and coming and enjoying the Lord's table together is because it is a reminder that it is not mere legalistic obedience that sets us apart and makes us holy to God, but it is because God has said, I have blessed you and I have put my name upon you. You are my people and I am your God. I have set you apart as my own. And because of what my son has done, symbolized by the bread and the wine, the juice, what my son has done cannot take that away. And you need to be reminded about it because you're a very forgetful people. So as often as you're gathered together, celebrate this until my son comes again and when he comes again because we have because we are in his presence he has brought us in and made us his own we know we don't fear the judgment that he brings with him we will be safe and hidden away in him if you are here this morning and you don't have faith in Christ maybe you're in this place where You have just been following a mere legalistic obedience saying it is is by obedience to the law that I can be right with God. And you haven't have faith in Christ and know that you are united, hidden away in His presence. That that is what makes you safe with God. I would ask you to let these elements pass by you this morning. There's a Paul kind of talks about with the Corinthian church in their taking of the Lord's Supper, there's a a picture of blessing and cursing. He says, don't take this. If you're taking it apart from the faith, you're taking it with with bitterness and hardness of heart against your brother or sister, don't take it. He says, there's there's a condemning power behind it. But if you believe, take it. Celebrate it. Rejoice in it. Not if you're perfect, because none of us are perfect, but if you believe, if you cling to Christ, you're in His presence, then take it and enjoy it and have the full assurance of everything that it stands for for you. Let's pray and we'll take this together. Father, I, I do pray that as we come before this. Supper that you've given us, this communion table that you would help us receive it with grateful and rejoicing hearts, not hearts that rejoice in anything that we have done, but fully rejoicing in what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Pray that you would bless this meal to us, that you would nourish us as we feast on Christ, our Passover lamb. And help us, Father, in this moment as we come before your table as perhaps the many sins that we have committed, the many failures that we know are true of us. Help us to confess and repent and to run to you in faith, knowing that there is Nowhere else we would rather be but in your presence. I pray that you would give the gift of sweet assurance to all those here who receive these by faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee or online at cbcnashville.org.